Hello everyone, this is Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train episode 135. I'm your main host and this is a short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually we will cover Super Train and today we are covering Tales of the Gold Monkey, Battlestar Galactica, and The Middleman. And uh, let's see, Kiki Wrights is joining us for uh, Monkey and the great Christopher Bly for Galactica and Kristen Hawes for Middleman. And um, I'm going to have us jump right in because I think it might be a bit of a lengthy episode just because we're getting near the end of Battlestar Galactica and Chris and I, um, we like to chat. And so the chats may have gone a little long, but uh, we, we will see. And uh, um, so I'm going to play a little, I'm going to play a little Gold Monkey theme and I'll be on the other side with some plot breakdown and then, then we'll talk all over it. Listen to this. Tales of the Gold Monkey, episode 13, God Save the Queen, directed by Virgil Vogel, written by George Geiger, January 19th, 1983. In this one, uh, Corky, Jake, and Jack go to a um, uh, really fantastically huge luxury liner, huge, bigger than the Titanic kind of thing, huge, huge kind of thing, uh, to deliver, to, to drop off like some... Uh, British lord who actually turns out to be a real jerk and is going to blow up the uh, luxury liner unless he is given a bunch of royal jewels that are on board and uh, Jake and Jack and, uh, and Corky have to try to find the bomb before it goes off and destroys the ship it's a bit different from the other ones obviously but, but listen, listen to Kiki Wright and I talk about it I think, I think we're, we're, it's a good time listen to this sh- be good listen to this God save the queen. Now we are officially in the second half of the series right here. We are um, uh, on disc four. There are um, six discs in the DVD set. We are on disc four, second uh, episode of disc four. We are on God save the queen, an episode which is basically Jake, Jack, Corky, and everyone's favorite, Lord Hendricks. If that's his name, that's what I wrote down. If I wrote the name down wrong, I'm gonna stick with it because what business would <laughs> be yours if I get it wrong? Actually, I could. I can just edit around it, so you'll just hear the rest of the episode will be. And he talked to and he talked to Lord Jones, and <laughs> Lord Jones said this. Um, but I have here with me uh, the great Chris and Hawes, um, everyone's favorite. And we are ta- how you feel, uh, Chris and being halfway over halfway into Gold Monkey. You know, it's just flown by, honestly. Yeah. Have yeah. you? Can, can I ask? And this, this is this is just going to be me. This is just we haven't planned this, but have you enjoyed it? I have. Of course, oh, thank I goodness. Have. have you? Thank goodness. I would. I have. I have. It's been fun. You know, there've been the occasional clinker here and there, but I mean, the, the thing about a show like this is, you know, they always sort of start off in one way and then develop. And and it usually takes like a few seasons for a show to get into its beautiful place. I don't think this show will ever get there, but darn it if it doesn't approach it in some of the episodes. And we're seeing different things it's doing, and this one is a very different thing from the other ones. Um, uh, unless you disagree, 
then I'll take that back. I'm kidding, of course. No, um, uh, what, what did you think of this one? Which I've forgotten the name of. Something to do with the Queen. No, God save the Queen. Sorry. No, what did you think of this one? Wow. I did. It's funny. I always, I always write the titles down at the top of the page. I have Lord Hendricks written down at the top of this page, so no help at all. So, so what, what did you think of? What did you think of this one? Um, this just confirmed my uh, conviction of never going on a cruise because if the ship isn't just absolutely turning over like it decided, I'm sure then things are blowing on it. And I, I do not wish to participate. But other than that, I actually like this episode. It's just very much so a shenanigans episode. This is just shenanigans the whole way through. Um, that perfect description, yes. Yeah. There's no um, – I mean, we get one scene with Sarah and Louie, and it's just kind of a almost a throwaway scene to say, look, they're still alive. Mm-hmm. We have it in Roddy mm-hmm. McDowell's contract that he has to appear in every episode. <laughs> and Caitlin O'Haney should be in every episode. She I don't should, know why she but... isn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, here it is. And but most of it, it's Jack and Corky and Jake running amok on this cruise ship, trying not to get caught while also trying to find a bomb. And it's just it's fun. It's just straight up shenanigans fun. And I I really like it. What do you think? <laughs> I think. Um, apart from the fact there were a few moments where we we've seen so few of these episodes apart from ones written by Donald Belisario that were written by like less fewer than <laughs> sorry I'm fewer than like three people to see one that's only written by one person makes me worry and I the and, and I only say that because I I suddenly thought I I, I what I wondered I, I I wondered about like was this maybe a script for another show that got reconfigured into a gold monkey script because it really only is it's like two guys running around and and craziness going on on a, on, a, on a boat or a ship and I'm also wondering like or was it something where it was like you know five or six episodes of the season Donna Belisario said hey I've got access to this huge cruise ship let's do an episode on it and they handed it to one guy and he said I'll put a bomb on it and it was like, all right, let's put a bomb. You love it? Put a bomb on it. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Um, but I think the episode is, like you said, it's super fun. And the moment the moment you could tell it's going to be super fun is that moment about – actually, it's playing right here. It's about five, six minutes in when Lord Hendricks is standing – that's his name, right? I'm not being a jackass. Yeah, it's, is, it's is it like Hendrick. I think it's Hendricks. I thought it was – is it I – th- I just wrote Hendricks. I kept Jimmy writing – I kept writing – yeah, I wrote Hendricks through all of my notes and then looked at the credits and it said Hendricks. And I'm like, well, you know, now he has an N in his name. Yes, he's going to be Hendricks. All right, folks? That's – we know we're wrong. <laughs> but I know – I know you know we're wrong. So you know that I know that you know that I'm wrong. So let's keep it down. Um, so Lord Head, what Lord Hedberg, he's um, it, th- there's that moment where we are on the deck and the captain is talking to him, and you just have that moment where he he says like, oh well, yes, you're you're you you just had some trouble because there was an explosion. Yes, how did you know? Well, I know because there'll be another one in five seconds. Pfft, what's going on? And you're like, you're sitting there for about. 20 seconds maybe 30 i sat there going what's happening and then when i realized what was happening i was like nice 
And then when I realized also that because of the way it was set up, that 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 Jake, Jack, and Corky are now stuck there. Because he's going to use the third bomb to get the jewels and fly them out of there and then kill them when the flying is over. It's like, oh, this is nicely done. This is kind of a perfect kind of, um, kind of, it's an enclosed space that happens to be like a half a mile long or however huge it is, you know, and it's, and then it becomes, and then it becomes just a fun episode. And, and, and some of the, you don't. It's great because some of it you, you you expect some running around shenanigans on the di- on the decks, but you don't expect you know Corky to run into Bubba Smith. You don't expect um, uh, Jake to run to Catherine Lee Scott from Dark Shadows and so many other wonderful things, and and suddenly like hanging out with um uh, what is it Edward the Eighth. The uh, the king the former king of England the Duke yeah. of Windsor Duke of Windsor uh, you you don't you, you don't expect that um, you don't expect that great moment where Corky runs across the cabin and slides into the tray of food and scatters it everywhere they're just it's it's an episode that I actually wished was either a little longer or just a little more packed with shenanigans. Because when he when when Jake meets Catherine Lee Scott, it slows down slightly, not not in a bad way, but I but but it's almost like I actually kind of wish like this could have been Tales of the Gold Monkey the movie, you know, it, it could have been this great ninety minute long craziness, and we could have we could have airdropped Sarah in, and you know, so Sarah could have been in the ship in the, in the play with them, maybe going somewhere, and then suddenly it's like oh well we're just dropping um, Lord Head doodle off here <laughs> and, and but then they get caught up in it and then are on the on the thing and it's craziness i i actually just i love the premise of it i i love the hidden bomb i love the i love the the guys below decks i love i love um jack running in and out of all the places and the cats that are in there i love the the, the moment I mean, this is getting near the end, which we don't normally ruin, but we might ruin here. Like the moment where 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 Jake punches punches Lord Hedel Heidenberg there, and um uh, and grab, gets his watch, and you know he's done something, but you're not sure what. And then when they reveal what he's done, you're like, yeah. <laughs> and there's just like a lot of, and when he's running with the bomb through the hallways, you know, it's like I would have loved to have been that extra. It was like just walk down the hallway. And the lead actor will run towards you with a giant bomb and react appropriately. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Can, can I say something? Don't say anything because then we have to pay you twice what we're paying you. Just go. Uh, but it's overall, it's one of those episodes because it's it's like the it's like the werewolf episode of Kolchak. When you take them out of the um, when you take Kolchak out of his normal place not that not that Kolchak's not fun in his normal place in Chicago or Vegas or Seattle um, but when you take him out of his normal place and you put him someplace he's never really been like a cruise ship suddenly things like the it, it it's like remember that time when the Jeffersons were on a train and there was a murder that's kind of what this is like or well, Laverne and Shirley or was Laverne and Shirley were they on there was a murder yeah I th- yeah I, th- I think it, there was a Laverne and Shirley episode like that Okay, I'm going to have to look to see, and I'll verify at the end of this episode if the Jeffersons were on a train or a plane and there was a murder. But it's like when you take characters out of a place where they normally are, put them someplace different, and they get to be themselves in sort of a very, um, like, there's a bomb, and we got to find it. 
and this is this is just, it's just fun. It's just a fun episode. I I was so I had no idea this was going to happen in this episode. So when I sat because I've never watched this before, so when I sat down and watched it, I was like, oh, they go, they're going on there. There's a bomb. Oh, and I I loved it. I had a great time. Yeah. So what? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. So so what? So what else? I'm sorry. That's me me gabbing. <laughs> but, uh, what what else? What else do you have on this one? Um, I do like that. <laughs> The way that Jake conveys to Corky how they're going to escape oh, yes. from the room is that he starts talking about baseball and, you know, baseball signs and stuff like that. And he starts giving Corky baseball signs. And then yes. Corky has to go through the motions of thinking, okay, this was the, this was the game. This was the play. Oh, I got it. And he takes off his, and does a full on baseball slide into the, the table. Yes absolutely fabulous and then they they run off and then it's like i don't know how many minutes of hide and seek on this ship mm, and so, it's so good yeah, yeah. jack takes corky down to the engine room because spoiler alert that's where the bomb is hidden and yes. so poor corky because you know jack's little he can hide but he gets caught by the two engine room guys down there who think he's a stowaway and he's trying to explain mm-hmm. to him that he's not a stowaway and it's he's explaining it only as Corky can explain it. Yes. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And then they kind of end up yes. adopting him because how could you yes. not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they like they I think the theory being that um if the if the above decks love you hate you so much that we love you. Yes. Kind of thing. <laughs> yes, it's, it's great. Yeah, and so he ends up hiding out with them and when he finally gets found out, he's putting grease on his face to try to like blend in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is <laughs> and, and, and yeah, well. who he is. And because yeah. when they the search party comes, one of the guys tells the other guy, he goes, "I think there's there's some truth to this stowaway story," because they didn't really believe him. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then yeah, he gets found out, but Jack gets to, of course, Jack escapes and hides. Yes. So, and Jack knows where the bomb is, which is fantastic. Yes. Of course he and, does. Um, yes, and I, I, I was surprised in that moment where he's like, uh, and Jake is there, like, "Where's the bomb? Where is it? Where is it?" And Jack's like, and I'm looking and thinking, I, I do know where the bomb is already. They showed us where the bomb was, but um, why not look where he's barking at? Yeah, he, he never quite because uh, Jake never quite looks where he's barking at. He's always kind of looking above, like, "Where's the bomb? Where's the bomb?" And he's barking at this big, um contain a metal container that like links to the boilers that if the bomb goes off it'll blow up one of the boilers and then set off all the other ones which will gradually cause bad crap to happen mm-hmm. which was the plan he said we're gonna I'm gonna make some bad crap happen on your boat so yep um uh so so uh let's see what else do we have on here what what no what did you think of like the the scenes when um jake ends up with Catherine lee scott and the duchess and he he did you did you i i I did feel like because there's very much a like uh you have five hours you have four hours and then all of a sudden it's like we only have 40 minutes left or something it's like maybe you spent too much time with her or or was that just me (laughs) well i she's attractive you know why not if you're gonna die well i'm guessing yeah what were they doing in that time Hmm. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I thought too. Well, I thought you know, did she show, have photo albums? I don't know. <laughs> it makes sense. Well, she wouldn't have though because he didn't know who she was. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense because of course on this ship, while well, he's supposed to be playing hide and seek, which is great because he ends up going into like the the locker room 
and that's how he loses his clothes yeah, is because he's clothes, yeah. he he puts on the the towel. He was just going to like put the I think just put the towel over his pants, but then the locker mm-hmm. room attendant caught him and so he had to take his pants off and put the towel on. And he ends up in Kathleen Lee Scott's room and she throws flowers mm-hmm. at him before she starts laughing hysterically cuz she realizes he's in a towel. Mm-hmm. Which I think is great cuz I just it's, yeah. It fits perfectly in with the shenanigans, but then, of course, in my head, I'm going, well, of course, Jake, of all people, would find a woman on this boat who would immediately yes. fall in love with him and ally herself with him. Of yes, course. That's I, th- I thought she might be that lady earlier who's hanging out with that guy in the shorts. Mm-hmm. Who 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 he runs into a few times and she kind of gives him the eye like when he's like they're making out and he's like hiding above them and then he leaps down and then lands right next to them is like well yeah. this is all right here and he pretends like he's fixing something um, that's who I thought was going to be the first lady he met but then I remembered that Kathleen Lee Scott was listed in the opening credits and I hadn't seen her yet so I thought okay she will be the um, she'll be the special one yes. I will say the one thing about the episode I never fully understand is the way the bomb worked. Whenever they showed the timer, I never fully got, you know, it was like, we have four hours and 30 minutes left. And they'd show the timer and it would be on like seven and two. And you'd be like, um, I, I, um, that means that, uh, and then we'd cut away and be like, I don't get it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what that means. Yeah, I'm gonna be perfectly but, uh, honest. I've never understood clock timers in bombs in any <laughs> television show or movie I've ever seen. It just, it just clicks to a certain point and then it explodes. That's all I know. Expo- yeah, yeah. This one, I was, I was hoping the the way he was so because the the Lord 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 Handy D is um so intent upon the time that I thought if we cut to the timer we would look at it and they would within the time they were showing it to us would be like oh, okay that's how it works every time they show it i'm like i don't know you could be showing me whatever you could be, you could be showing me a picture just of my mom over and over again i go okay yep four hours hi mom three hours mom how you doing oh there's another picture of mom so uh but 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 nevertheless, you do, you do get the feeling of the uh, encroaching trouble, and I, I one of the things I do love the episode about the episode is that Lord Henry is always um, <laughs> he he's always got like a drink, mm-hmm. or you know like they're bringing in a meal, so it's always like okay he's you know if if we don't do what he wants he's going to blow everyone up if we do what he wants we're going to give him millions of dollars of jewels and he might still do what he wants but we're treating him very civilly yes and there's there's something about that which i alternately love and i alternately as i said in the previous episode or two sometimes the villain needs another kick in the pants and uh, Hendrix here, I think he goes down okay in the end. But uh, but this is or Hen, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, what what else about this one? Yeah, I do. I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I love that he's he is not only is, is he, Hendry, Hendri, Hendrick 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 hanging hanging um Not only is our British bomber being treated very civilly, <laughs> but Lord H. Yeah, but the. Uh, the every conversation that he has with the captain is just completely like the captain 
is this cool either. It's just this completely mm-hmm. very pleasant, civil, upper crust conversation just happens to be about blowing everyone up to hell. So yeah. it's, it's, I don't know why that tickles me so much. It's just, I guess, the mm-hmm. juxtaposition of it. But I love that. I, I love that the captain never loses his cool and maintains that civil tone. That is like peak customer service right there. He, <laughs> he has been dealing with stuck up customer, rich passengers that is, all his life. Yes, that is customer facing service of the highest value. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. I, I, I think one of the things it does too that I've always loved since I was a kid is it does that thing where on one level everyone is calm and everyone's being civil while the heroes are having to run around like nuts, getting punched, getting pushed around and everything, saving the day. Mm. And I've, I've always loved that ever since I was a, I was a kid. There was a, um, the, uh, and I may, I may have mentioned this on here before. Pro- we've talked so many episodes that we probably hit this trope before, but the, um, the uh, final episode of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio show from 1978-79 involves a big sequence where Arthur Dent is in a shootout with a bunch of robots in a sneaker factory and he is trying to protect a series of female and male clones who are getting married and as he's fighting out with the robots they're getting married and they're so happy and they're so excited and he's there about to get killed and these robots are advancing on him and he's trying to stop them by saying can we can you please stop i've got three or four marriages going on behind me and they keep coming at him and everyone's while they'll stop and be like what are you talking about but there's just this juxtaposition of the hero doing and this happens on my favorite tv show doctor who a lot too the hero having to do crazy crap while on another level some people are sort of calmly going about their business or doing something happy. And I like here that, like, no one here really seems to care that there's a bomb, <laughs> except for Corky, Jack, and Jake. And that, that to me, adds to the shenanigans. You know, when he's running around in a towel, and he's got that, that um, cart of clothes, and he's sneaking behind it along the, along the, um, uh, through the hallway, and Corky is down there with Bubba Smith and the other guy, and, and, and Jack is just, chasing cats and doing whatever there's there's something about it that um i don't know like you said it's sh- it's shenanigans of the highest order and i quite enjoyed it let's see what what else do you have here um i'm looking i'm gonna scan my notes can, can we reveal the actual motive for this because you think oh, yes. you think that he's just doing Spoil this it. Spoiler alert, you think he's just doing this because so, he wants to steal some crown jewels because, you know, who wouldn't? I mean, I'm sure they're really, like, super easy to fence. But it turns out this is a personal vendetta thing for him in that the Duke mm. of Windsor was in charge when this our mad bomber was in the army and had him drummed out of the army because he ended up killing seven of his own men experimenting with explosives. And yes. he's, like, super oh. put out by this. And you're yeah. like, sir, at what point did you think yeah. that perhaps it was uh, cruel of them to strip you of your rank when you were, like, out here murdering your own men? To test your – yeah, you, sir, you're mental yeah. is what it is. Lord Lord H, that's what we're calling him. Lord H, you're mental. Yeah. And 
and and I mean we can we can spoil this one. I mean not like you know this isn't uh, you know this isn't the crying game. I, I think we can we can give away you know the sixth sense. I think we can give away what the ending is. Um, that the joy of it is that, uh, and I will say, um, both Jake and Catherine Lee Scott look great in their outfits when they're going out to the um, to the to the uh, dinner, the banquet, the whatever the hell it is they're doing. Reception. Um, yes, the, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the thing in the end is. Oh, sorry. Uh, um, sorry. Something something just flashed up on my screen, and I was like, "What's going on?" No, it was I. Right now, folks, we're doing a um, security scan of my computer. So if you hear anything crazy happen, <laughs> it's Kristen's fault. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. But the but the the big ending is that um, he it's basically uh, uh, um, uh, Jake is gets gets hold of the watch that Lord H has been looking at and kind of uh, takes off and they're all running around and we've only got a few minutes left and Jake is convinced that um, if 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 he can. Um, that if if they can sort of keep an eye on Lord H, he will kind of lead them to it. But then he learns that Jack knows where it is, and he kind of goes into and he, he sees Corky, and Corky leads. Does he see Corky? Uh, they use I, they use Corky to make Jack come in because he you know runs yes, off yes, again, yes, and yeah. if they capture Corky, and again they use him as bait, saying if Jake won't come in, they'll make Corky fly the plane, and Corky will uh, assuredly be. Murdered yes. by Lord H, and we don't want that. So of course, Jake comes in to save his bestie. Yes, and he ends up, and Jake ends up going down to the area uh, below decks where where Jack is, and Jack is barking and barking and barking at, at a spot, and he ends up like, "Where is it? Where is the bomb?" And then Lord H shows up and reveals where the bomb is, and it's hidden. Like I said, it's hidden in this sort of. I don't. It's it's not like a pipe, but it's like um, I don't know what the heck it is. I'm not a. Uh, I I never. I've never built a boat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know some of you have tuned in thinking this guy built a boat. When's he going to talk about it? It's I. That was not me. You've got the wrong Dan Budnick. Um, you want the photographer, the award-winning photographer. Um, but but it's like hidden in this container thing. And and so yeah. And like I said, it's going to blow up a boiler, which will blow up chain reaction across the boat. And so they're standing there. It's about to go off. And what happens is the moment it's about to go off, they all stand there. Lord H is looking at his watch, and it doesn't go off. And then he begins, and J- Jake begins to be like, "Okay, well, you screwed up. You know, you're so he's so ex- you're so exact, Lord H. You screwed up. No, I didn't screw up. And da, 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 da. Lord H goes crazy, and there's some back and forth, and Lord H gets slapped down, and and Jake lifts the bomb out of there." which is a big kind of unwieldy thing, as you might imagine. And this is the 30s, after all. Uh, it's not like a tiny little thing like we might have today. And he runs through some corridors and runs up on top and throws it off the deck and it explodes. Hooray, and everyone's safe. And the thing that, the joy of it is, right at the very end, as Jake is leaving, um, one of the soldiers says to him, like, you know, I would have done the same thing, you know, just the way he was so awful. I would have gone up and given him a punch, too. And Jake says more or less, like, yeah, you know, I did I, I did that mainly um, to, to get his watch. What? So I could adjust the time. And then you learn that he, he adjusted the time uh, ahead 
on the watch a few ahead, right? Yeah. A few, did I say that wrong? Yeah, ahead, just a few minutes, like just maybe like I don't. They don't say how many minutes, but I, I in my mind it's like three or four minutes. So he thought. So Hendrix thought, or Lord H, I'm sorry, thought that the bomb was going to go off, but his watch had been turned ahead four minutes. So Jake knew that the moment the bomb, he had four minutes to get the bomb the hell out of there. Mm. And it's a lovely moment. I don't know exactly when he turn the watch ahead but i'm no hero i'm just a podcaster <laughs> and i'm sure he probably i i like to think that like as they as he was being restrained and we cut to lord h and the captain being like oh da, da, um he was just sort of looking at his hand adjusting it maybe like one of the soldiers saw him do it and he gave the soldier a wink don't worry about it don't worry about it and he had him the watch back or something, but it's 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 a lovely moment when when because you knew he did something with the watch, but by time he's running around running through the hallways with a bomb, it's like Batman. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb, <laughs> you know. It's it's like he's running through the hallways with a bomb. You don't think about, it, but then when he says it, you're like zing, and then the episode ends. And you're like that was a good time. So that that's the ending of that. Everyone, do you have anything else on this with Chris? And I'm sorry, I went off a little bit there. I um. I just I just have two pieces of trivia and then I have one final thought. Um, yes. My two pieces of trivia. So our Lord H was played by Roy Dotris. Dotris. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm sorry. I can't pronounce any of your last names, sir. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was in the Tropical Madness episode of Magnum PI, and then Catherine Lee Scott, oh. who we've talked about quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, she was in the Black Orchid episode of Magnum PI. Oh, nice, yes. nice. And my my final thought on this episode is that Jake, I feel, did really well with getting rid of the bomb. But yeah, he's never going to beat Adam West as Batman getting rid of a bomb. <laughs> no, he's he's doing his. I think his bomb isn't as goofy looking. His bomb isn't his, as I because because he might get like, when he's running down the hallway. Someone go, you know, like, hey, what are you doing with that thing? What's that? Whereas Adam West is running with a proper. Wily Coyote. Yeah, I was going to say, his bomb Boris came from, bomb. from Acme. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, um... Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, I think this is I think this is a super fun episode. Part of part of the the fun of it is that it's um sort of off the beaten path of the regular episode. There no there's no uh, jungles, there's no islands. It's set on a cruise ship. And take that as you will. I I have been on a cruise. Um and it was okay. <laughs> It was okay. I wish um, I had met Catherine Lee Scott. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. I'm joking around. I'm joking around. Um, no, I wish. I actually wish I met Bubba Smith. That would have been freaking awesome. Yeah. But um, so, 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 Kristen, if you don't have anything else, what? Uh, where are you? Where are you? What's going on? Well, you can find me online at akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com, and you can keep up with my shenanigans in real time by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Thank you again, and now we are going on to, oh, the penultimate episode of Battlestar Galactica, everyone. Here we go. Yes. Check it out. Chris is, <laughs> each, I, I, um, it's, it's, things are getting as interesting as Glenn A. Larson shows get, so let's get excited but not too excited. Here we go. Battlestar Galactica.
Battlestar Galactica, episode 20, the penultimate episode, Take the Celestra, directed by Daniel Haller, teleported by Jim Carlson, Terrence McDonald, story by David S. Arthur, Jim Carlson, Terrence McDonald, and David G. Finney. This aired on April 1st, 1979. The episode is not a goof. And in this one, oh, geez, a lot of stuff goes on board here, but they, um, they sort of meet up with the um, a ship called the Celestra, and Starbucks sees... Um, uh, a, a previous love named Aurora who's on there who is um, tries to rebel against the Celestra and the um, the gentleman I believe Kronos who is Kronos who is the commander is is getting is uh, he's retiring and he's and they're going to give him a big to do but there's something wrong on board the Celestra because of this rebellion and there's there's a really charming uh, um, second in command named Chakra Chakra I believe and um and he is taking over, taking charge while while Kronos is away, and uh, there's there's lots of mutiny and craziness, and and is Starbucks still in love with with Aurora? Or is is he in love with Cassiopeia? And 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 how is is Kronos really a bad guy? Because there's an implication that he's very strict, and and why is Chakra there? Chakra so uh, kind of slightly creepy, and. I was gonna, I was gonna try to. I always try to do these as as easily as possible, but I couldn't. So just take the Celestra. There's a ship called the Celestra, and something's going on on it. Um, again, I apologize with the last one and with the next one. The sound on this is not great. Um, I did find out that what happened is for some reason my microphone was not working correctly, and the sound you're hearing from me is recorded. It's the it's the mic off of the laptop, so it sounds one really loud and two slightly far away. Christopher, however, sounds fantastic as always. I apologize. The chat is still a good one, um, and all the audio issues are mine. And so please uh, listen, enjoy, and uh, let's take the Celestra, shall we? Take the Celestra. This is the penultimate episode of Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica, by the way. If, if you've tuned in, hoping to hear us talk about the reboot. I've never really seen the reboot. I hear it's great, but I can't, I can't, I can't help you. But I'm here with with the great um, Christopher Bly, who I call Doctor Principal Mister Monsieur Mister Christopher Bly. Um, how are you, Chris? Not too bad. I gotta say, when we look at this, it's Starbucks, a past love, some differences, yes. and her name is Aurora. No, no, it is not Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yes, it's Take the Celestia. So, let us. Well, well, we'll start. Last time we kind of went all over the place, but we're getting to the end of the series, and um, and I allow it. <laughs> I allow craziness as we go along. But I was going to ask uh, Chris, what what are your thoughts, your general thoughts on this episode before I join in? in way, sure. And and uh, well, one thing I can say is certain, it's the last episode that we get to to have the extended Patrick McNee beginning. Uh, of that because we haven't seen that beginning in quite some time we're usually used to the circle and the theme but this one we get the the Egyptians and the Toltecs and the Mayans you know mm-hmm. these um, few, you know brothers of man you know like that that whole beginning that uh, I, makes me want made me wonder at first I said was this episode postponed from an earlier date or oh and it seems yeah. to kind of still figure itself into the, the mold of everything that's come before this so not exactly that just 
one of those cases where they pulled a switcheroo with the intro and decided to put the extended one on this uh, second to last effort. And uh, it was, you know, that was my first thought. But then you have one where it kind of goes in a certain direction. It, it does have some, in, you know, some intensity to it. But at the same time, you kind of go, all right, this is a, you know, let's let's take over and then let's work over in that case uh, with this episode. Uh, being that, you know, like, um, you know, it's like you feel like there's a plot in store. There's something that's about to be, you know, triggered. But where they go about it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I, I, I had the, that same thought with the uh, last episode, the previous episode. Because mm. um, once, um, when the previous episode of Apollo meets uh, the White Crystal Castle, and then he meets John, I thought, okay, where are we going? This could be interesting. But then it kind of does a thing where it's like, some of it's great, some of it not so great. And this one is is kind of in the same uh, space, I think. I love the fact that the commander's named Kronos, or Kronos, K R O N U S. So to me, how you doing? Are you okay? I don't want to lose anyone. Oh no. Okay. Well, sometimes when I hear my co-host coughing, at no. the, especially at the end of a series, you don't want that to happen. No, you don't. You don't want to have the case of uh, Galactica withdrawal or Galactica fever. You don't want. You don't want the Galactica fever to hit everyone because mm. we're not going to be able to do the next episode if this happens. But oh, oh boy. So so it's. Uh, I like the fact his name is Kronos. And of course, Kronos is the son. Uh, the son, the father of Zeus, in in Greek mm. mythology, and is the uh, main god. In Greek mythology, he's also if you've ever watched Doctor Who back in 1973, uh, oh wait, 72, wait, 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 77, 172. Uh, Kronos is the main monster villain thing in a story called the Time Monster. Uh, Kronos is a chronovore, which is a time devourer. Devourer, time, something that devours time. A, a devourist. Yes, a devourist. Uh, now the the guy in this episode, he ain't devouring much. He's an older gentleman, and um, the, the I, I I do like, and I I was I will say this in the episode that, so it starts off with Starbucks seeing Aurora. And being like, hey, Aurora, what are you doing? Hey, how you doing? And Casapia's there like, hey, let's go to the concert. And it's like, and Sheba's around um, uh, uh, Apollo. And it's, just, it's like, you, you suddenly realize that a lot of like, um, it's like I'm in high school again. A lot of stuff is built up. And, you know, I'd be jolly, the guy who none of the girls paid attention to. But, but, um, uh, but there's a lot of like, hot gals and hot guys and there's stuff going on in this episode but yeah, there's also what is going on uh, what what is the guy's name is it karma or shaka shock chakra shock chakra yeah um yeah. He's... Well, shaka, you think the shaka zulu or you think yes. shaka from uh land of the lost here. yes exactly yeah and he so he's the guy who seems like the the nice guy from the ship but um, maybe he's not as nice. And then you have our um, our guy Kronos, who's the old, and he has that he has that moment where um, 
you you don't quite know how to take him where um who, um is it Teague who who is it who comes up and talks to him is that the moment where like he's going to do the drink the toast and um and 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 Crohn's it, it, it's tight yeah it's tight it's tight I'm sorry it's tight yeah I I know T I you know what well, it's going tight you know what everyone I should learn people's names. 20 episodes into a series well, well name wise you're tied up in that case yeah exactly so, so he goes up to Kronos to um to do a little toast and Kronos is like aren't you, aren't you supposed to be on on the on the bridge yeah but I was just gonna do you should be on the bridge and he's like okay and he leaves it's like oh gosh this Kronos he's kind of a douche yeah age has kind of slowed him Yes, H just kind of made him to, as kind of put him to a point where he 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 doesn't seem to recognize that he just got this beautiful um, ceremony saying, "Hey, you're great, Kronos. Thank you." And a guy comes up to him and says, "Hey, I'd like to toast uh, you. Want to be on the bridge?" Okay. So it's kind of an interesting thing there. Never mind about metal decoration. This guy is looking yes. to uh, become a, a decoration of the walls, you know, without having any kind of like life left, you know, basically. And it, but we start to realize some kind of plot is going on with this ship known as the Celestra. And who comes in as Aurora? But none other than Falcon Crest regular and Halloween Two co-star Anna Alicia. Oh yeah. And Starbuck, like when he looks over at her. He, he looks over and is like, oh my gosh, that's her. And I think all of us are going, oh, that's her. Uh, where, where is she from? Oh, yeah. And, she, and she's great. And it's like the, 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 the Celestra is a um, is a ship that, as, as I explained in the, um, in the instruction, or in the instruction, in the plot breakdown, where um, she is um, there... They they've sort of they're they're part of the Galactica uh, uh, convoy now, and and Kronos is not not quite being put up to pasture, but almost. But then there's this guy Chakra Chakra. I'm gonna say I'm gonna call him Chakra. Chaka. Chakra. Yes, yes, yes. Who who is kind of like you'll know this guy when you see him. Who is kind of like who who is like one of those guys who's sort of like. Hey, sir, I can help that. I can help you out with that. You, you go number two is what he is. Yeah, you, I'll help you out with that. You do this, and there's kind of a wonderful sort of. Well, I mean, I mean, the main thing is Starbuck and Aurora. That's the thing, and it's it's funny because this is the thing I like about this episode is that this is sort of in some ways like um almost like because so much of it is. Starbucks previous love and the way it ties back in in one respect it's almost like a Star Trek the next generation episode because you used to, you used to get a lot of that here but it's also like a lot of um it, it well not a lot there aren't a lot I only have a few but I was gonna say it's almost like the penultimate episode of, of several seasons of the x-files mm. where they would like the one with the genie 
or the one with um, the the monster in the office, the cockroach monster in the office that's trying to kill everyone, uh, or the one with the guy who loves the Brady Bunch. It's one of these weird episodes where it's not a huge episode. It's the penultimate episode of the season, and it's not a huge episode, but in some ways, because of Starbucks' love for Aurora, and also his love for Cassiopeia, it's a it is a huge episode. But it's a huge episode emotionally rather than... If, if you watch the ninth season of The X-Files, it's a sunshine day. The one with the guy who loves the Brady Bunch. To me, before they did the 10th and 11th season in the second movie, that to me was the finale. And the truth, the 90-minute final episode, was just them kind of... Uh, fulfilling stuff for people who needed junk fulfilled. Yeah, basically, it's, it's, yeah, it's like fan approval, basically. Yes, exactly. Because because the point of the X Files is that I, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this song. I'm sorry, um, but I, I just want because this is the penultimate episode of this series. So I'd like to uh, compare it to the penultimate episode of a series that I love, although it's no longer the penultimate episode. Um, but it's a sunshine day. Is about. Um, Doggett and Reyes finding a guy who lives in a house and when you go to his house his house because of his psychic abilities is the interior of the Brady Bunch house because he grew up loving the Brady Bunch and he thought they were the perfect family and he lived in a garbage family that brought him nothing so he lives in this house and that's the way he lives and when people come in he throws them out of the house violently blocks away um and, and so the end of the episode is um doggett reyes and 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 scully bringing him to um uh um uh skinner and saying here we go this is the proof the x-files exist and skinner is like being flipped around and spinned around it's like oh my god the x-files do exist but the problem with the episode is that they say that the more he uses his power, the more he injures himself. It kind of, kind of like the, the Johnny Smith dead zone kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so we would love you to introduce him to the world, but he'll be dead in a month or two. Yeah. And then and, when you come across, yeah, and then basically here you basically have a kind. Starbuck and kind of a born a torn between two lovers kind of situation. Yes, yes, and it, yeah, and it's it's like I can't, I I I I, he says he doesn't love Aurora, but obviously he does, and he loves. Well, he has a thing for both, and he has to choose. Meanwhile, yes. the Aurora has this other guy that's around her that basically looks like the poor man's Gonzo Gates. I was gonna say he's got some fun hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got the Gonzo Gates hair. Basically, for those of you who've never seen Trapper John MD, <laughs> that's Gregory Harris's character. Yes, they, yeah. You know, double G's. They sometimes would know him on the show, and uh, and also that's the interesting thing is there's also a tip of the hat to Star Trek being that this other ship has got red shirts on there. Yes. Red shirts. Now they don't exactly go exploring, and somebody gets knocked off. But they try to get within the action and don't get much further in the action than just basically having a red uniform on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
the the th- the thing I love uh, about the episode is that um, <laughs> it it does have that that background that like um, Starbucks says like I I I didn't look for you because I thought you were dead. When when the Cylons hit, he thought she was dead. Kind of uh, like but, referencing but, to like a past of some yeah. kind because we figure Adama's got a past with Kronos. Yes. And of course, you know, it's people kind of like dealing with their past and having a situation in the present so then that way they could do something protective for the future. Yes. And, and and it's also too with one of those things where now there's a takeover of the ship. Aurora happens to be on the, the side of the takeovers. Yeah. There. And uh it's it's kind of like taking advantage of the fact that we've got this old uh, commander on here who pretty much is doing next to nothing and this is kind of like a wake up call for him. <laughs> exactly. He's he's one of those commanders who basically sits around and goes, mm, Yeah, you gotta go over there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he does say that nothing is impossible. And that he when he finally realizes there's a plot going against his ship, he's on the other side of it. I, I will say, I, I, I won't ruin it, but um, but but who cares if I ruin it? But I'm not going to ruin it, but the ending with him strikes him as very Star Trek II Wrath of Connie. Thank you, thank you. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. I, that was not just me. That it, It's very, it's, this is, this is 79, Star Trek II the Wrath of Khan was... 82 yeah, and the point is it's, it's kind of like yeah well maybe somebody was watching this episode and yes. we got to think of something to throw into our Star Trek movie because you know Myers looked at most of these episodes and they say like okay he wants to do something based on the Space Seed episode yes so to bring to bring it you know Khan back in there and we're going to do something tragic with Spock you know basically yeah. that was, which is basically the way that they broke it down that there was a couple of things that were going to be covered Three bullet points uh, on that. Yes. I forgot that what the third one was, but the cases, <laughs> you know, it, it had a similar situation in this one where somehow, you know, Kronos comes to life and decides yes. he's going to make the sacrifice. He does it, uh, right? And it's it's it and he, and he does. But here's the thing: is that uh, once again, you know, we're we're back. They they've made it official on the Galactica that there's going to be music. There's going to be yes. arts on there, and the, inf- Di- the I thought the disco element known as cer- yeah, disco, and and the element of ceremony. Now, the last time I heard anything about ceremony, I would think would be the recent version of Dune, which that that oh. idea was you know proposed there in, in the sci-fi uh-huh. world, and basically here it's brought into the the case there because we have to give somebody a medal, and we might as well give it to this guy, <laughs> and then the other thing that comes out of it is one point when they're doing the takeover of the ship. There's an antenna that's on top of the ship, and I looked very closely at that one. I saw like that looks a lot like the design of Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Mm. Now I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, and then the <laughs> funny thing about it was that every time they showed a shot of this Celestra, I said, "My God, you know, where have I seen that 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 kind of shape of that ship before?" You know, yeah. There's a good tongue twister for you. Shape of that ship. Shape of the ship before. Yeah, try to say that three times fast. But, uh, but, uh, but here's the thing. Is that, that shape looked very similar to a movie that was going to be coming out that very year. Uh, and that it's the black hole. Because it looked uh, a lot like the shape of the Cygnus. Yes. The that Maximilian Schell was on. It looks yes. like, like a medium-sized version of that. With that kind of like that box and a couple of things yep. on top. Not as clear or as pipey. As the Cygnus is, but you know, basically, it was like more compact and more solid, but, sh- mm-hmm. but also smaller. 
but kind of had that same similar kind of rectangular shape yeah. that happened to be on there. So I, I feel like it was a little bit like whether it came before the black hole was like, oh, this is one of our ideas in the special effects house over here. <laughs> and, you know, we like the trade-off ideas here. Okay, Disney, you know, here's one little part, and eventually Disney would be end up taking over ABC. So there you go. Oh yeah, yeah. Not at that time, of course, but in time. And basically, you know, it's they had their efforts to sacrifice the ship. There's a uh, a dark landing because the, 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 the ship that's on there that they want to look to kind of do their extra plot doesn't have a light to the uh, the dock there, or oh, at least yeah, they want yeah. to do it under the radar. And then, you know, when it comes to the sacrifice, uh, they call it a cradle of space. Oh, uh, yeah, which is uh, and, but gorgeous, the weird yeah. part about it is when we get to that sacrifice, you know, it's not exactly of my friend. I say this of all the souls I've encountered in my travels, his was the most human. No, it's something different. We give something that's similar. You know, this is the origin, but instead of it going into like a nice slow Scotty playing bagpipes kind of emotional tribute, yeah, yeah. we get a rush off that's very similar to when you look at an assembly line for for those of you who ever shop that consumers a beer outlet. Or maybe, for that matter, Sears, <laughs> when, they happen to when they happen to request something, and it happens to say, yes. okay, uh, uh, item D682, and it just, bing, like, the, the box comes right out like that. Yep. That's what I kind of felt like the coffin that comes out of this one is kind of getting assembled, so like, okay, does somebody have the proper ticket to pay for this over at Toys R Us? Maybe that's, maybe that's, at this time, that's like, oh my gosh, that's so... That's legendary. how they got the action figures. That's so legendary, you know. That's just, that's Service a time. Merchandise. That's another place that had one of those. Like, you know, <laughs> Usually you know, they shot above our heads. Place, you know, there's a bigger room that's got all this stuff. That all we got to do is count out a number, exactly, uh, a quantity, and then you know, write out. You know? <laughs> if you watch Strange Brew, it's a perfect example. Of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, now I want to watch the Black Hole and Strange Brew. Good double feature. Hey, that would be great. I have them gonna, both. You're gonna get stuck in a black hole, and you're gonna want to have some strange brews. And there you go. It's, that's gonna get you right up there. And oh my gosh. Um. Uh, I. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know where to go from there. So, so that that is that. Uh, is that all we have to say about this one? I'm gonna look at my notes. No, well, that was great. The yeah. other thing I can honestly say to, to add to it is, well, we kind of get a confessional moment by Starbuck in this. Oh, sure, we're yeah. Basically, we're basically, you know, when he's with Aurora or, or Cassiopeia, one of the two, one of the two gals, he actually confesses, hey, uh, I'm not the committed type. Yes. You know, I can't commit. So basically, they want to leave it open, the fact that he will be the space scoundrel of our little show here, the way that maybe Han Solo is when he's not committing to Princess Leia. He's kind of the non-committal, saying, like, I'm the warrior that, you know, every guy wants to be, like, have that extra oomph, like they happen to have the it's kind of space warrior. It's funny to think that, of course, at this point, we'd only seen um, Han in uh, Star Wars, A New Hope. I put that in quotes, A New Hope, um, where he wasn't really with Princess Leia. Um, it that, was that more... gradually went through time. But yeah, was, yeah, that he, was by Empire he was yeah, by closer. Empire was, but at the same time, in between that, he was more like the galloping scoundrel... You know, he was probably could have just about any any gambles and you know just he should, yeah, if you read the, the, that, the Marvel comic of it yeah. he did that a lot which is wonderful yeah oh sure hey that's the way he got the Millennium Falcon Exa exactly exactly so <laughs> and but base and, and you know of course we know 
So, but gambles too. He likes to. He yes. likes to have his. Uh, he likes to get plenty of cubits out of. He does. Him. He got the cigars. Well. He's got his yeah, cigars. But the thing is that this is also too. That's another thing we don't see. Uh, Starbuck with his, with his trademark cigars uh, in this no, particular episode. No, yeah. Which could play a part. Who knows? That, but, could, uh, that I mean that 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 could be. I mean he. I I think he he. I I, I don't know if he loves a, a Aurora. I think he adores her. Um, and that's a, that's a distinction that I'll do a mini-sode on that yeah. <laughs> adore and love. Um, yeah, but, the want and need, you know? Yeah, exactly. I want because, you, but I need this. Be, because kind of, the, kind of the same kind of, like, tightrope scenario that you've got right on to that. You know? Yes, ex- exactly. So he's right there, and he's with Cassiopeia, and, and she's wonderful, and she's, um, and she's wonderful. I mean, she she's just like she's um, she's um, Snow White in in the next season of BJ and the Bear, the second season mm-hmm. of BJ and the Bear. She's absolutely wonderful, and so, she's got this is hairdo number two that she's still with. She didn't yes, get back to the, and the she, braided kind of way that we got used to in the first half of the season. Yes, and she she fair. I mean, here, here's the thing I'm going to say here because this is the piss ultimate. No, this mm-hmm. is an ultimate episode. I'm sorry, folks. I'm talking fast. This is the penultimate Well, it, it is two from that, so basically, it's we're not exactly at number one, but we're getting close to We're getting zero. close, yeah. When I watched the show originally for the first four or five times, I watched it as I was doing transcription, as I was doing some accounting at homework. So this is the first time I really, really, really watched this episode in depth. I've sat there, I've taken, i got two pages of notes here on the episode. So, um... And and I realized that they did a quite a beautiful job as the season goes along here. I mean, the Celester episode is um, it, it, it has that penultimate thing where they're saving the Celestra or whatever, but it also has the thing with what is Starbuck doing with Cassiopeia, you know, and um, what what is Sheba up to? Where, where's she going, you know? And, and there's there's some lovely stuff going on in here. And sort of the moment at the end, like we said, where where Kronos gives his life up to to defeat Chakra, Chakra, yeah, they get the bad guy, um, is is great, and well, is yeah. very Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it's just or, it's, or basically this was pre Khan. Right yes, now. exactly. This pre Khan mission. Yes, yeah, so this is um, to me this is um, this is not this it's weird. This is an episode that I love, but I think <laughs> I think if this show had gone on for four or five seasons, this would have been a season that we talked about. <coughs> pardon me, more lovingly than we do. Yeah, I I, th- I I think this is an episode that sets up some things mm. that we would have loved to have seen resolved later. The, and the next episode is going to be even worse on this, everyone. So I, I'm sorry, I'm lean, I just realized I leaned away from my mic. Um, but but um, we, um, I, I think that's the thing with this episode is like more so than other shows I've watched. Here's the thing: this is a short-lived TV show podcast. We rarely go above one season. Um, the most completed show we probably did was ever Joni Loves Chachi. Because Joni Loves Chachi is molded back into Happy Days and then given an ending. 
all the other shows are like we're standing it's like the end and some of them are wonderful i think like ellery queen and search and some of them like beyond westworld or well cliffhangers as an ending uh green hornet manimal is a great one when manimal ended charlie brown the mother effing browns and i we were like we can project this show for seasons and so now we're at a point where we're one episode away from the end and this isn't a great episode but this is a good episode sure and and i think i'm i'm, I'm anxious to talk about actually what the next episode is going the final episode is going to do because like i said looking at say the x-files the episode with fully ado with a giant um bug monster or the brave bunch guy or the um what's another one what's an, they had more of them i was gonna say the one where everyone eats everyone else and they get a disease where their brains um deteriorate that's not a fun episode i'm sorry i didn't mean to our town our town it became diet coke no it was our town the one where the people are working at the chicken factory and they kill the inspector uh food inspector and they put him into the chicken stuff i you know i kind of would have liked that if they would have taken the idea of ravenous and kind of like you know with it on an episode yeah basically they eat the person and they gain the person's strength you know i like that well that the art town episode is the opposite because the guy they eat (laughs) has a disease a real disease that is makes your brain into mush Mm. and they eat him and their brains all become mush and they become psychotic and they keep attacking Mulder and Scully. Our town is the name of the episode. But um but this is to me the <laughs> the joy of this episode is that it feels like the penultimate episode of a first season of a show that would have gone on for ages. It's like let's leave the openings and then we'll come back yes. to this at some other point, exactly. providing that we get that extra, you know, amount of audience and basically yes. the amount of support. So that way we can, you know, revisit this at some point and maybe bring Aurora back at some other form and see what has she been doing lately. Yes. And and go for it. I mean, well, they, well, they're as we get told at the end of it, they're on. Um, they're on uh, something. Probation. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Not exactly yeah. double secret probation, but you know, <laughs> So so I'm gonna stop talking about this because um, I think this uh this series is um. Is um affecting me more than I thought it would as we're approaching the ending. So I'm going to stop talking and just say, Chris, um, do you have anything else? If not, where can we find you online? I think we're pretty much um, done here with this. And, uh, and uh, Adam is giving his little salute back to Earth. Uh, but um, And then back on Earth present day, you know, online, uh, you could find me facebook.com slash Captain Bly, uh, where you can notice any of my goings on and possibly you know a film review or two um doing my little project called first view where i get to uh cover a movie a day of a film i have not seen ever fully i could have might seen in the bits and pieces i might not have seen it at all i might be going in fresh but um it's it's one of those things where i view the film i give my take on it and uh, go from there some of them i like some of them are just medium some of them very few of them i don't like but you can see from a present day perspective films of the past and also even to uh films of the present as well and we're having a lot of fun with it and um 
who knows what the fall might go into. We may actually be doing, and for some of October, we may be doing some intriguing uh, films of the horror, thriller, fantasy genre. Oh, uh, where, where uh, like I said, another one that you'd say, and you never got around to this movie? I said, yeah, it's very possible. <laughs> but uh, we're looking at it in October right now as a possibility right now. But then again, like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, unlike this one, I, I happen to listen to a lot of podcasts about film, and sometimes you get that uh, random choice that you say, geez, I've never heard of that before. You're able to track it down, and then you say, okay, new film, new review. Uh, you know, you have, you know, sometimes you find a lot of diversions of the game plan, but you could take, you could look at that on Facebook, and then also, too, on Instagram, Twitter, and um, Letterboxd, you can find me, uh, CaptainBly76. With some of the similar pictures, also to keeping track of the films that I happen to cover within this project as well. Wonderful. I, I think um, I was going to say the movie I was the movie I was thinking of when you were saying all of that. Have you covered it? Are you going to cover it? If you're not going to cover it, or you're about to cover it, you don't have to say a word. The possession of Joel Delaney. Uh, I'm happy to say. It's on the list. Hey! Maybe, maybe just maybe, because you just reminded me of it. I said, we might have room for it in October. <laughs> so. Hey! I, I said, um, yeah, come on. Folks, we're, uh, we're on October right now. We're, we're gonna, we're, we're pressing on October right now. And, um, right now we are gonna go on to some middleman action. And we're gonna talk about, well, listen to this. Middleman episode 7 The Cursed Tuba Contingency Jeremy Chechik uh, directing again Hans Belmer wrote this one July 28th 2008 And this one um, they are basically um, um, The Middleman and Wendy are basically after Trying to hunt down a cursed tuba from the Titanic That when, uh, when the tuba plays a certain uh, note I believe um, Anyone hearing it Will um, drown in the icy waters of the North Atlantic, no matter where they are. And um, I'm not going to go too overboard in it because there's a lot of crazy grace of it. But they wind up on board an enormous ship that is kind of doing a tribute to the Titanic and the musicians who played on them. And the cursed tuba shows up, and a gentleman who is in some way related to the man who played the tuba on the Titanic shows up too, and he's going to play this tune and kill everybody on the ship. And it's up to Dub Dub and Middleman to stop it. And meanwhile, uh, Lacey and the Middleman go on their first date together. And um, yeah, that's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, here's a little Ellery Queen uh, blast, and uh, Chris and I are on the other side. <laughs> The Cursed Tuba Contingency, Episode 7 of The Middleman. I just gave you the breakdown of this episode, and I have with me here right now Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you doing? I'm uh, in the mood for some music, Dan. How was your day? You know, I began the day with a friendly voice, a companion unobtrusive, playing a sad song that was so elusive. And then I tripped in the street in the middle of Victory Boulevard with three lanes of traffic coming at me and almost got hit by two or four trucks. 
So my day began great, but boy, I didn't see that pothole. And I, my knee and shin bounced off the ground, and I scrambled away. And the whole time there was a homeless man looking at me like, what a D-bag. <laughs> so I'm actually sitting here right now. Um, I got a, My left shin is all scraped up, and my... Um, uh, uh, my knee, my right knee is in, is in a lot of pain. Um, but I did, when I got to work, I told my boss that this had happened because she said, Dan, don't wear dirty pants with blood on them to work. And I said, I apologize. <laughs> and I told her a story and I said, I'll get the blood off my, my pants. Just give me a moment. But uh, that's how my day began. Apart from that, it's been pretty good. Um, we have been having a heat wave here in LA, tropical heat wave. No, just a, uh, maybe it is a tropical heat wave. I don't know, but it's a, it, it rained slightly today. It didn't go over a hundred for the first time in nine days. And I think the heat wave is almost done. And I'm excited to talk about this episode. So, um, what did you think of the Curse Tuba contingency, CTC? I, I bet you're longing for the icy waters of the North Atlantic at this point. <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be great. Now, not that I want to swallow a clam. I mean, a, a full <laughs> clam, a clam shell. I'll have clams, I'll have fried clams or something, but I'm not up for it. Yeah, I'm not up for Yeah, Yeah, I, yeah, I really am. In fact, I'm going to have a little sip of water while you tell me what's, what, how you like the episode or not. Um, I actually, I really did enjoy this episode quite a bit. I thought this was a lot of fun, especially when we find out that the people stole a tuba. The tuba is cursed. It's from the Titanic, and it causes <laughs> anybody who hears it to drown in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. And it's just, it's fun. Plus, we get the little side story of Lacey and the middleman and their little very brief whirlwind movie romance basically it's just all around i just really enjoyed the episode i think it's i think it's a lot of fun um and we get somebody coming back whom i absolutely oh, love yes, yes. Yeah, we'll which talk, we will talk about yes yes um what did you think i really i really enjoyed it i thought the um i, w- I was so excited when um the middleman arrives at the theater to see um i i never i never know how to say his last name. it's bud bach bach I'm not going to say his last name. He's he BB are his initials, and he was a he was sort of a B movie western guy who made a series of really well respected westerns back in the 50s. A lot of them with James Coburn, I believe, and Randolph Scott. And he's he's going to see the movie Ride Lonesome, and uh, when he finds out that the strange person tailing him is Lacey, and uh, it's just it's so charming. And when the two of them <laughs> sit in the theater and they're just talking, and um, it's just. Uh, it's just it's just it's just a sweet and actually the funny thing about it is as much as I love the tuba stuff there were occasional moments where I thought you know I'd like a little bit more of them just hanging out that would be real nice but the tuba stuff is fantastic it's 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 yeah <laughs> the imagination behind it is nuts and the you know and I, I you know I, I mentioned this briefly in the in the in the, the plot breakdown but yes there is a, an immortal gentleman who is linked spiritually to the tuba <laughs> And there's lots of other stuff going on. And it all ends, yeah, with them on that huge boat, which I want to say is like five feet longer than the Queen Mary and 38 feet longer than the Titanic or something like that. Um, and uh, and it just it just, it just just ends really well. And, and the, uh, it's, it's exciting and it's weird. And there's some, some good middleman. It's a good fight scene. There's a very funny scene where, where Wendy and the middleman are, are handcuffed to pipes. And then there's a closing scene with with Lacey and the middleman, which had me in tears both times I watched it. 
and um, I just re- I really like the episode. It 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 does that great thing that the show does so far, and a lot of the better shows nowadays do, where it's able to it tells a full story in the style of the show, the Cursed Tuba, but then it's able to tell a little something else that's quite wonderful too. And Nozer almost gets to have a full lobster dinner, so that's fun. So, so um, what um now? I, I don't know where to start with this one. Let's let's go to the succubi then, since we're since we mentioned them. Would you like to? Yes. Talk, uh, talk? So, they oh gosh, that whole scene though. So they they track down who's one of them gentlemen who stole the tuba because the other one is dead because he drowned in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Atlantic yeah. And. The the other gentleman they take track down. He's like, "Can you give me five minutes because I'm with this hot woman who really is amped and ready to go." And they agree because middleman understands or knows the the sound of true desperation, is what he says. <laughs> so they're waiting outside. Then they hear him yell, and they figure that's not passion. So they go in and find him with a succubus who has been sent by our friend Roxy. Yay! Yay! So Roxy comes back. She was trying to get the tuba because she heard that it had been stolen and she knows that it's cursed. She fills us in with all the exposition that it's been cursed and it's from the Titanic and anybody who hears it will drown in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. (laughs) And (laughs) the great part about that interaction is that the middleman who is adamant that violence is only the last resort walks in and punches Roxy in the face. Yes! First thing first, and then lays into her and says, "We had an agreement. Mm-hmm. You were running. You were doing such a good job running this, basically this halfway house for to reform Succubi and Incubi." <laughs> and Incubi, yes. Points out. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's when Roxy explains what's going on. And when they part, she punches him in the face, and I'm like, "You had that coming." Yeah, because yeah. you jumped to conclusions, yes, sir. Yes, yes, and he takes it. Well, for a second, I thought he might spit out a tooth, but that would have ruined his <laughs> his his pillow lips and everything. I suppose if, if something like that had yes. happened. I I did note that when they go to um, see the body of the first guy, is it the guy Double A, whose um, uh, whose uh, lungs are filled with the blah 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 of the blah 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 blah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they, and they meet the CSI guy. The, the names they give are the names of the last name of the director of, of um, Ride Lonesome and the name of the writer of Ride Lonesome, who was Burt Kennedy, who I know best for. He directed whichever one was first, support your local sheriff or support your local the James Garner films where he plays the sort of comedy westerns from the 70s. Oh, I think he, it was Support Your Local Gunfighter. Okay, that's the first a, one. Which, yeah, whichever one is the first one of those, I believe he directed, and he wrote a ton of scripts along with some of Bud's scripts. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I was thinking like Bachner, but I'm thinking of Lloyd Bachner, so that's no help <laughs> at all. But, um, but yeah, the scene with the Succubi is great, and it's nice to see them back. And it's nice to know that we're all sort of it's it's like the middleman the middleman they don't know they don't know who employs them or what's going on but the fact that like some of their greatest allies are a group of succubi and incubi is a lot of fun and and the fact i do love that scene where that guy's like i mean the last time i was with a woman that was this beautiful was never <laughs> and when he's like yeah, I, I can believe that and the look he gives her like oh don't say that it's kind of like for a moment, for a moment you have a little bit of sympathy for it. And that yeah. that was a great scene because it's like, you, part part of you is like, I think maybe in any other show, you like if this were Law and Order, 
and the two like main cops were st- you know or Mariska Hargitay was standing outside the door you know and they said just give me five minutes with this woman and they were like okay you know the guy was lying but here you're like ah, he's probably telling the truth <laughs> this is probably yeah. the truth uh, let's see what else on this so there's a lot I do like the um, when the, when they finally track down I just got I did write down a few lines this time but I'm not going to go crazy I, I said I wasn't going to uh, I like that she she calls the um the uh, immortal guy who's linked to the tuba. So basically, you're Highlander with the tuba. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. And I, lo- I love the immortal guy because he's a good looking guy. And the more he mm-hmm. talks about being immortal, he he says at first it was tough, but then he's like one of the few sort of immortals in like history, apart from evil. Well, I guess he's he, I don't, he doesn't. I don't know if he's evil. He's just um, very self absorbed. And that leads to him doing bad things. He's not like a Ming the Merciless kind of guy. He's just kind of, he really likes being immortal because he, he was, like you said, he was a stuntman for you. And if he was a stuntman back in like the silent movie days, they did crazy crap back then. And if he couldn't die, then he that he could do amazing stuff. And two, he, he says, you know, the ladies he meets are great. And it's funny because he says... All the ladies he meets are fantastic, and he doesn't do that thing which you normally get from immortal people, which are like, but the sad thing is I have to watch them grow old and die. He doesn't seem to care. He's like, he's like, grow old and die, I'll get another one. Look, check me out. I'm hunky. Yeah, come on. So he's an interesting interesting nemesis, I guess, as it were. Um, That is something I like about this show is that all these bad guys, all these villains are so specifically shitty. mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. their crimes are just so specifically motivated for, like, one garbage aspect of their personality. Yes, Yes. and I mean, this one specifically is like, he actually kind of says at one point that he doesn't want to be on a boat that goes... That the and drown because as an immortal, he'll as a middleman says, well, I suppose you'll drown, come back to life, and then drown again, and then come back to life, and so he specifically wants to kill everyone on this boat so he can get off the boat with him and the tuba. It doesn't care that he's killing all these people. He doesn't want something to happen on the boat where the boat might sink or go down, and he loses the tuba and he has to go with it. And um, his, I mean, and I do love the. <laughs> The, the scene with him and the middleman when he's doing his CSI stuff. Yes. <laughs> There's just, oh, you got, did you get a description of Mr. Man Crush? <laughs> well, did you notice, though, that the hotel was called the Peckinpah Hotel? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that. We had a little bit of a Western theme going on. Mm-hmm. Throughout it, yeah. Yeah. And, and it all starts with a, with a attack we've just missed from a hog roach. I don't know what that is. But it sounds great, and Wendy seems to be a big fan of it. He gets all over her shoes. Yeah. Uh, well, judging by the mess that it makes, I wouldn't be too thrilled. I mean, that thing was pretty goopy. <laughs> yeah, it was. I did, but as the middleman pointed out, if you're going to shoot it, shoot it when it's not in the car. Yeah. Because if because what does he say? You spilled the slime. You yes, clean the grime. Yeah, exactly. And that is, is lovely too. The um. The uh, and I keep saying lovely because the thing at the end of the episode, like I said, at the end of the episode, there's such a sweet scene between Lacey and and the middleman. And um, I was even like, I watched it today while I was while I was sitting in in my day job office, which isn't the um, most conducive of place to have emotions. 
Um, I was I was doing my work and I had it playing and um, sort of on one screen and I was doing my work on the other. And when that scene came scene came on, I was just in tears. And someone asked me if I received a new report. And I said, "Yes, I have." <laughs> and they said, "Dan, are you okay?" And I said, "I'm doing all right. How are you?" He's like, "Well." <laughs> and uh so it's good it's good work when you, when you can when you can have that happen. and that's i think why i keep saying it's lovely because there's um you, you get the epic uh you know the titanic in the background of something is always epic even even if it's exploiting it sort of you know i like can say like a raise the titanic or something like that and you always gotta you know the sign of a of a every show like this has to have a titanic type moment you know, I mean, Doctor Who has a Titanic episode. Even Green Acres has an episode where Oliver and Lisa on the t- are on the Titanic. But it's not the one you're thinking of. So it's it's you know it's 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 one of those big sort of epic things where you got to have something like you know it's the Titanic yes. And they do mention the movie, of course, which Lacey obviously loves. Um, oh, what else on this one? I got I got a bunch written down. Pillow lips. <laughs> Yes, pillow lips. Should we talk about Lacey and the middleman and their date? I think we should. Date-ish. Yeah, please, you, you begin. Okay, so it, the, obviously the episode opens when middleman is getting to go to a movie because uh, Wendy has to clean up the pig guts, <laughs> pig roach guts, and he's being followed. And the person that ends up following him, he finds out is Lacey. Well, she says that she's there because she's doing research on on our project for heroic men or something like that. And they end up sitting together and he actually goes to the concession. He brings her some water and says that they didn't have the, was it the vegan candy that she was looking for. And of course he gets called away to go on a case, but they exchange, Lacey gives her him his, her phone number, Mm -hmm. which comes back into play later but then Which they is a very funny scene <laughs> yes but then they they basically make a date to try to watch the movie again mm-hmm. and when i loved this part so much that when they are sitting together because she saved the same seats he brought her the vegan candy yes. because the, the the movie theater didn't have it and i'm like oh my gosh that is so sweet <laughs> that is, that they don't is. They, they don't make men like that anymore. No, they don't. They really don't. Or maybe they do, but they all become middlemen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 such a lovely moment. And the thing, I mean, the the joke and the wonderful thing at the same time is that the theater's completely empty both times. <laughs> and yes. so when she gets them the same seats, there's no one there's no one else there. But um, I mean, I mean, the movie is called Lonesome Road, so. Um, him going in there and trying to see it, he said like sixteen times and never get in the end. The movie's only seventy three minutes. It's it's not an epic western. It's not like a searchers or, or, or something something huge like Once Upon a Time in the West. It's it's B movie length. And I've always said too that the perfect movie length is seventy two minutes or so, give or take a few minutes. So seventy three, you're right in there. I feel so bad that I haven't seen any of Bud's movies. I'm just gonna call him Bud. Now, because I hear I hear so many great things about them. He's one of those directors that you hear lots of great stuff about, and you think I need to watch some of his movies. And then suddenly you're watching a show called The Middleman. They keep referencing his movies, and you think I'm not going to have time to watch any of his movies. I'm going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> but hopefully, we don't sound too idiotic. Um, I, I want to um, I want to talk about two scenes that I really love. One is um, the um, 
uh, Ida and the uh, the tuba watch or oh, whatever. Gosh. Yes. Where, where she she hooks herself into a uh, like the all the networks of the world, and any time um, the word uh, tuba comes up, she yells out, "I've got a hit! What is it? What is it?" Uh, the president mentioned tuba in a morning breakfast. Okay, I've got a hit. A young man in Japan just won a tuba tournament. I've got a hit, and it's like the two of them are asleep on the stairs, and Wendy's head is on the middleman's shoulder, and they're both drifting off, and she just keeps walking by, yelling, "I got a hit!" over and over again. <laughs> and it's funny because they're not because if 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 they were acting that dumb in front of Ida, she would have called them out on it within twenty seconds. <laughs> but they're just letting her go and letting her go. Almost like a, almost like a slightly crazy aunt who don't want to, you know, you don't want to rile her. You want to let her have her her go, you know, because maybe eventually she'll hit something correct, you know. Yeah. So, but that that scene I love, and then, um, yeah, the scene where they are tied to the pipe, are handcuffed to the pipe, or chained to the pipe. They're handcuffed to the pipe by yeah. the um, by the bad guys, and, and on on the um, on the on the boat, and uh, and they're. T- uh, and Wendy's going to call uh, Lacey, and she starts to say, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, is the middleman call? No, who's someone's yeah, texting? The middleman is, I think, using his middle watch to text Lacey, mm-hmm. and he's, and uh, Wendy's like, oh, that's a great idea, because Noser and Lacey crashed the dinner party that they're yes. at this, this boat, which I love that. <laughs> that's, so a, that's, the, that's the best moment where they're scanning around looking for, uh, like, the bad guys, and then all of a sudden... Um, uh, Wendy looks and you see Lacey. She goes, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> and, then, and I think the middleman yells, "Tropic of Cancer, Wendy language." Yes. And that's like that's like the only time that one of the few times he calls her by her name, right? I mean, usually yeah. it's Dub Dub or, or whatever, but or, or Dubby Dubby. Yeah. yeah. But but that's it's off. <laughs> that that's a great scene, and it's it's right too because you see that thing that Wendy does on occasion where she um. When she talks to Lacey, she could be better at it. Mm-hmm. She's had she had that happen a few episodes ago. I, I want to say when we were dealing with her mom, Doctor Thornfield, PhD, MD, etc., yeah. etc., where she was talking to her, and you're just thinking, Wendy, you're a little, your 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 like your personal interpersonal skills with with um, Lacey are a little off here, and it's slightly off. I mean, she obviously can't. The middleman has sort of told Lacey, kind of, you know, well, we, we, Wendy and I, we deal in international affairs or something like that, not too specific. And um, Lacey is just kind of offended when, um, when Wendy says, "Get off the boat," mm-hmm. but then the boat's already taken off, so they can't do anything. And Nozer just wants a, um, a lobster dinner. I can't say I disagree with him because I bet the lobster on that boat is so good. Yeah. I bet it was quite tasty. Oh yeah, and and oh, and I didn't actually get to the point of what I was because <laughs> so so they're they're gonna they're gonna text uh, Lacey and she Wendy starts to say her number, and and then middleman finishes it and how do you have my roommate's number? Oh, I forget what it was like. Oh, I saw it written or I heard you say it or something like that. How did you get my roommate's number? Oh, it was on your this for that. No, that's my mother's number. I put down there. How did you get my roommate's number? And she keeps saying it. Then eventually, it turns out you're dating my roommate. That's that's as bad as dating my mom. Well, is she nice? <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like that. That's a little middleman uh, humor. 
That, I yeah. mean, not that he's not funny, but but normally he's he's funny when he yells stuff out. He's like you know, like the tick funny, you know, where the tick yells out random crazy stuff, and he's Tropic of Cancer, Wendy language. <laughs> Stop thief! Put down that tuba. I'm just I'm just watching the scene right now where the guy runs with um the CSI guy runs with the tuba and then another guy comes and grabs the tuba and shoots him and then it turns out that um all of a sudden this kind of spectral light shines through the the CSI guy's <laughs> chest and things take a turn for the weird if not they have it already with with the, with the tuba yeah. and everything. But yeah, that's a lovely scene with it, where they're handcuffed because it's just one of those great scenes where they're um they're just kind of they're trying to get out, but they're also learning little bits here and there. And then that great that great very practical middleman moment where when when Lacey and and Nose are, uh, uh, rush in there and um, they're gonna use an axe, <laughs> bring it down and chop the chop the chains. And when it's like, don't do that, don't do that. And the middleman says, what is it? Um, I've got a universal key in my pocket. And when he's like, why didn't you tell me? I said, what would be the point? I can't reach it, and neither can you. Yeah, and then the, the noser's like, can I still use the axe? <laughs> he <laughs> like, really no, is sir. up for it. I mean, I'm wondering if it's because he didn't get to finish the lobster dinner. That was his consolation prize? I don't know, I guess so. use the axe? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me see. Well, what else do you have? Oh, I, may, I, may I? I'm sorry, I got a lot of stuff for this one. I, I, I really like this episode, I guess. There, there is something about when... Um, the CSI guy, I think, introduces himself as it's Rogers, right? Is it Eric Rogers? I forget how Cecil. he introduced. It's Cecil, Cecil Rogers. Cecil Rogers, and there's just a great moment when he takes off running with the tuba, where <laughs> the middleman yells something like "Stop right there, Mister Rogers," <laughs> which is kind of charming. Um, but I was oh, I forgot the scene I was going to talk about. It was probably a great scene. But what else do you have? I'm trying to remember. Here, what I'll, I was saying. I'll talk about a great scene in, oh, yeah. when they're. <laughs> In the interrogation room with Mr. Rogers there. Oh, yes! And Ida is going through his history of his all of his identities, no birth certificate, no social security card. And she goes through and, like, she hits certain ones and she goes, no social security cards, but that's not – or security numbers, but that's not a comment because the Social Security Act didn't start until 1935. And then, you know, finally lands on his original identity, which is, you know, tuba player on a boat. Mm-hmm. And – but the best part is is that when they're trying to get him to explain what he's doing and to talk, Ida holds up a phone book and he's like, are you really going to hit me with that? And she just stares at him. Yes. And then he starts talking and I'm like, yeah, yeah, she will. And you may not be able to die, but you're going to wish it. Yes. And it's a full on yellow pages, maybe even with some of those old green pages in it. Do you remember those when they used to, were they oh, green yeah, pages? Back in yeah. the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. Oh, you were talking about uh, the hitting the, hit the head of the phone book, and I was saying the yellow pages, the green pages. Um, uh, I'll, say, I'll try to say something else from that. Um, oh, okay, something like the green pages, da da da. And you can see that, yeah, Ida is very. You're like you said, she's very threatening, and this guy might die like a hundred times tonight <laughs> if left to Ida. That sort of thing, you know, you know how it is. Um, but I wish I did. I mention that scene I was going to mention that I thought was great that I don't remember. Gosh. Uh, no, uh, I don't no. think you did. I forgot. I've forgotten what it is now. Darn it! <laughs> Darn it! Um, they. I mean, we we can um three feet longer than the Queen Mary and eighty six feet longer than the Titanic. Um, uh, I, I was just going to say um, uh, I I I think maybe uh, talk uh, uh just about the talk. Would you mind talking about the final scene with me real quick? 
Oh yes, the heartbreaker. Yeah, yeah. What do, what do you think of that? I mean, did you? It's. What did you think? What did you think of that? Well, because obviously Wendy has problems with her boss dating her roommate. I can understand why that could go sideways in like a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. But and but she tells middleman that in other circumstances she'd be very happy for them. Yes. And yeah. and M decides he's going to go do the noble thing. And while he's dancing with Lacey, explains that there is a rule at his work that they can't see each other. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad because I mean, she's like heartbroken because she's like, you know, well, we can still, you know, watch a movie every once in a while, right? And just the look on his face is like, no, it's for the best yeah. that we don't yeah. do this. But the whole point is that he's never seen the end of Bride Lonesome. And yes. so – before she goes to walk away and she makes him come back and she tells him the ending of that movie and mm-hmm. it's just so touching and makes basically makes him finish the dance with her at the very least yes which which is wonderful it's 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 um cuz he's you know as goofy as he might be at times he is he is very when he's he's set he's set and when she kind of calls him back and does that um it's really lovely. And at that point, the tears are kind of streaming down my face. And then it ends with Wendy just watching them. And she looks sad, too. And that's where the guy came up and asked me for a report. And later on, he reported <laughs> me to my boss for having too many emotions at my desk. <laughs> Shit happens, ladies and gentlemen. Shit happens. But it was, I mean, trust me, if if you're watching the show all the way through, you get to this. They are such an, an adorable couple together. They are. They are absolutely adorable, and the the when um when when she's telling him and he 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 says a great line. I actually wrote it down here. Um, where he this is a quote from the movie, and it's uh when, when they're trying to work out a way when she's trying to figure out oh, maybe maybe we can do this maybe we can do this, and and he says there are some things a man can't just ride around. And that's from the movie, and I think that's a lovely line. And and he, and you could tell their hearts are broken, and and they saved a ship full of people, and who knows how many people they saved, and yet <sighs> hearts are broken. Mm-hmm. Hearts are broken all over the place, and it's it's really lovely. Like I said, if you're um, if you like the show, if you love the show, the characters, this one will um, yeah. Because the moment they go on that first date, you're like, oh, this is going to be sweet. And you think it's going to last several episodes. And, so, and maybe it would have. I don't Maybe it does. I haven't seen all the episodes. But um, but it's just, uh, you know, it's it's more or less the right thing to do. Because as uh, as he as he says on his side, he, he didn't expect her to be on the boat. And if they hadn't succeeded, she could have died. And mm-hmm. and that's not, and that's that ain't going to work. So, um yeah, you don't. I, I I like it because yeah, you don't expect. I I didn't expect in an episode about a cursed tuba from the Titanic and an, an immortal hunk, who who is linked to the Titanic together, and all these people who keep drowning in the the icy waters of the North Atlantic. North Atlantic. Um, I didn't expect to have tears in my eyes when the credits rolled, and that's why I think I like this show as much as I do. And I wish there were more than just five episodes left. That yeah. stinks. But what else do you have on this? I have a few more things, but I, I think I could keep talking for a while, but I don't want to go crazy. Um, well, I, I just want to point out real quick that it, it, 
it, the, one thing though is that you obviously you did not expect to have tears in your eyes when the credit rolled. You didn't expect that sweet scene at the very end, because just prior to that, in order to save the ship, they have to take out Cecil Rogers and his tuba. And Wendy does that with a harpoon spear. Oh, yes, like just like, like Moby Dick comes style from a cannon. or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like like Starbuck <laughs> on, on Moby Dick or or well, Queequeg or something. Just yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and he goes over the because she's like. They're trying to catch him, and she um, tells Middleman, she's like, I, hang on, boss, I got this. And he's like, oh, my God, and she shoots him with it. And he <laughs> falls like, over the, the boat, the side of the boat, and dies. Yes. But it was uh, just so – it's so hilarious because he, she did that in front of people, but nobody seems nobody to, seems to notice. Yeah. notice. And the best part is that the guy who orchestrated all of this – Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn, yeah. Because yeah, the only reason why he wanted this tuba – which Cecil Rogers had like locked up at a bank was for this stupid cruise and mm-hmm. to prove that there was no curse. But then he's like, cause he's making this speech after this happens and before the dance. And he says something to the effect of that, you know, well the, you know, I'm going to be charged by the FBI and the yes. Coast Guard. I'm going to be arrested as soon as we get back to land for mm-hmm. grand larceny and all yes. this other stuff. So, you know, enjoy the rest of your evening. I'm going to have another bourbon. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those where it's it's uh, it's maybe slightly sloppy, but it ends okay. <laughs> like yeah. the you you wouldn't quite think that the super rich guy would get picked picked up for something like like that. You think he might be able to sneak around it, and and the harpoon gun appears out of nowhere. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Why Which would fun? why would that even be on that ship? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think, did the Queen Mary the Titanic have a harpoon gun on it? I don't remember, like, Leonardo DiCaprio ever using one, but... Um, that movie uh, might have been more interesting if he had. Yes, possibly. And the movie does have, if I if I recognize them correctly, shots from A Night to Remember, the 1950s Titanic mm-hmm. movie, which they use when, um, what's his name, Mr. Rogers there is telling his story. <laughs> they show clips from there. Um, the only two, two things I have left are um one and this this relates to when you asked me how my day was um <laughs> that when wendy walks into the hallway to talk to noser they quote rush the spirit of radio back and forth to each other yes. which begins the day with a friendly voice companion of blah 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 uh, uh the sound of salesmen of salesmen <laughs> so um so they do a little rush right there which is nice and the other thing i had to say Oh, oh, is that Arthur Mendelssohn is played by, and I forget the gentleman's name, but he's in a bunch of the Christopher Guest movies. Oh, he's in. Jim Piddock. I can remember his first name, but I can't remember his name. Jim Piddock. He's in Best in Show. He's the intelligent commentator at the dog show, where Fred Willard is not. He's also in uh, Mighty Wind. He plays. Catherine O'Hara's character's um, uh, husband, the one who runs like the Sureflow, um, like uh, uh, adult undergarments um, uh, stuff, and he—I think he's also in for your consideration. I know he's in and co-wrote um, *Mascots*, their Netflix films. But it's nice to see him because uh, the middleman, of course, and I think I've said this before, but I forget. Of course, was in *Waiting for Guffman*, which I'd completely forgotten about. He plays the. Um, I hate you and I hate your ass face. 
He, he <laughs> plays. He plays that at his dad's Brian Doyle Murray, and I just uh, you know I think you'd be great in the show. You should come on down. And then it pans over to Brian Doyle Murray giving Christopher Guest a look like, who the hell are you? <laughs> I also forgot that Matt Kessler was in Mr. Magoo, the I think vastly re- underrated Mr. Magoo. He plays Mr. Magoo's nephew, who I think is named Waldo. Now I can't. I know I'm not going to get anyone interested in seeing Mr. Magoo, <laughs> but, but, but I will say two things. One, it's written by Pat Proft, a very funny writer, and it's directed by Stanley Tong, who directed three excellent Jackie Chan films: Super Cop, First Strike, and Rumble in the Bronx from the '90s. So I don't know if that's going to help you, but maybe it'll push you along a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. But that's all I had for uh, for this episode. Um, do you have anything else? Any any other stuff? I have I have one more line, and then I have a little bit of trivia for you. So oh, I I have to mention this one line because it's a Roxy line, and I ha- I loved it so much when she's talking to the to the middleman, and he's assuming that she's trying to use this cursed tuba for her own means when she's really trying she as she says doing humanity a favor she tells him you're as ignorant as your jacket is tacky oh yes yes <laughs> and he looks that he looks a little saddened by that because he, yeah, he loves his that, jacket that kind of, lo- yeah that was a little blow to him i think yes yes <laughs> and uh, my my little bit of trivia that i have since we've been talking about uh cecil rogers being the csi so mm-hmm. much is that Natalie Morales, um, Elaine Hendricks, who plays Roxy, and uh, Lance Barber, who played Johnny John, were all in episodes of CSI Miami. Oh, wow. Oh, one one of um, – I know someone who really loves that show. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be honest. I read a very long article that someone may have written on the show, and it sounds absolutely fascinating, and I kind of want to start watching it. Yeah, you know, I think I read that too, and uh, there was a lot more that could have been said about that show. I would imagine. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a recommendation for CSI Miami, and a, rec- a recommendation for the Cursed Tuba Contingent, um, or is it contingency? It's contingency. I'm sorry, contingency. Uh, what would the contingent be? That doesn't even make sense. I don't know why I said that. Um, but, uh, anyways, if if that's if that's all you have, like we didn't say a thousand things. Um, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at akakikirights.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookham Dano, an old Hawaii Five O podcast. You can also find me at my blog, kikirights.com. And if you want my thoughts on tubas or CSI Miami in real time, <laughs> you can get that by following me on Twitter at kikirights. I think we may have given away who that person was that we know <laughs> That wrote about CSI Miami, oh. but their their article it was so it I mean it was like it, it made it seem like the uh, like someone had written like a, a fifty year history of guiding light or something like that. There was so much going on and it was so crazy. I thought this show sounds nuts, and I imagine I could probably watch it on one of the friendly streaming services that we have in the world. Yes, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus! Okay, I think I have Paramount Plus. I forget what I have. <laughs> I forget. I got one that's got horror films. I've got another that my wife watches some things on. Peacock? Does that sound? Peacock, that's something. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. And um, I also, um, I don't know what the hell I have. And I have Netflix just because of the Great British Bake Off. So you gotta, you gotta. Um, so that is the Great Tuba. I forget what it's called. You know what it's called. They said it eight times already. 
So I'm going to let this this go, and we are going to go from... Actually, we're done. We're going to go to me talking about the end of the episode, everyone. So, Kristen, you be good. You be good, Dan. And we'll talk to you soon. And uh, next up is this. And that is episode 135, everyone. Thank you so much for listening again. I apologize for the stinky sound on Battlestar Galactica. It will continue into the next one, um, and, but I, I hope it's not. I hope it's not taken away uh, from your enjoyment of it because we got the final episode to talk about in the next one. So another another show will be wrapping up, and in 137, another brand new old show will be joining us. So, <sighs> boy, I wish the sound wasn't screwed up on that. Uh, what are you gonna do? These things happen sometimes. You know, you live, you learn, you love. Boring, right? And so, um, where are we online? Addy Supertrain1 on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook, eventually Supertrain.blogspot.com, and uh, Danny Slacks, uh, one word D A N N Y S L E S L A C K S at yahoo.com if you want to email me and complain about the bad sound. Um, but otherwise, uh, be good to yourselves, uh, be safe, be cool, and we'll be back next time with another gold monkey, with another middleman. And the hand of God. Mm-hmm.